Welcome to the CMS Real Deal podcast. I'm your host, Danny Drummond Brassington. Join me as we take a step back from the legal nitty gritty and look at issues affecting the property industry. Today, uh, we welcome to the Real Deal podcast, Claire Thomas, partner in CMS Real Estate's team. Hello, hi. And Giles Barry of FTI Consulting. Hi, Hi, nice to welcome you. Um, So you're both here today to talk about CMS's latest real estate thought leadership report, Urban Being, the Future of City Living. Um, Last year you picked the logistics sector to look at, um, so essentially sheds, and this year you've picked beds. Um, What made beds so attractive this year as as an industry to focus on? I guess that's to both of you. Yeah, well... I'm feeling a bit old, actually, because this is our seventh real estate report that we've done, and Giles, we've been working together for quite a while now, and something that we've seen over that seven years is a real shift in the market and the assets that are really attractive, and we've seen some of those more traditional asset classes, such as office, retail, really maybe pushed to one side in favour of, well, it's beds, sheds and meds. So having done sheds last year, it seemed the obvious choice, I think, to concentrate on on beds this year. Yeah, absolutely. And and we wanted to drill down a bit more into not just the beds world, but uh, the different parts of the beds world. So build to rent, student, retirement living. Um, It's become a much bigger sector than just just beds and what house builders might put up. This is is a big, serious uh, investment class that um, the world's global investors are, are, are buying into. And so what's making it so attractive now? Because you're absolutely right, it has become um, this sort of big asset class that people are attracted to. Um, so what's driving that? Um, I think the fundamental thing is whereas um, retail, industrial and office property are focused on the economy and its drivers, this type of real estate is focused on demographics. And in the UK in particular and much of the Western world, um, there's a, a, a high high demand and a low supply of this type of, of real estate. So, whereas the the drivers are different, the fundamentals of supply and demand are are, are very healthy, and um, don't look like changing. Yeah, and really interesting as well. We interviewed Patrizia, and if you look at that, they talk about maybe what's driving their interest in this yeah. sector, and it's very much around. It's stable and secure income. It's maybe not the highest income that you can get in the real estate sector, but in terms of that stability and particularly the resilience to the economic cycle. Yeah. So it's just looking a really good offer and particularly where we are in the cycle at the moment. And what was quite interesting I found in this year's report, you surveyed so many more people than you have done um, before and it was over 6,000 people and actually on a, a European-wide basis. Yeah. And Claire, I know you've been touring around all the cities um, launching this report. So what stood out to you in terms of the European um, differences to perhaps the UK? Yeah, I think that was a big step forward for us this year as a firm to actually make it European-wide. That's the first time we've ever done that. So we polled over 6,000 consumers in Paris, Amsterdam, Berlin, um, so as well as sort of the London, Manchester and Glasgow, as well as the UK cities. Doing a launch in each of those cities is interesting how it's the same report, but people take different things out of it. Mm-hmm. So Giles, you moderated our panel in London, and we very much talked about 
this is sort of the beginning of the journey in terms of the institutional mm -hmm. sector and the interest in this market. Whereas in Berlin, it's clearly far more established. Yeah. It's been an established market for a long time. And interestingly, I just did the launch in Amsterdam. And both from the panel and actually the, the audience, everyone really interested in the impact what's this sector contributing to sort of ESG yeah. and the wellness of people. So it was sort of real estate in a slightly more sort of human way. Fascinating, and perhaps maybe because Amsterdam's a more developed market yeah. um, or asset class than this. Let me just wind back. What made you choose those six cities? Oh, uh, CMS office in each of them. <laughs> <laughs> No, not at all. I think I think Danny, we did know that they 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 all had um, they all had a, a deep and an interesting residential yeah. residential market. And as Claire says, Berlin Berlin in particular is and uh, and Paris are very well advanced. But in, even in the UK regions, uh, Manchester and Scotland, um, one of the people we had on our panel, Rick de Blaby, the chairman of Get to Living. Um, are growing in those cities, yeah. so they they seem to be probably London, Manchester, Glasgow would be the the, the top three UK built to rent locations. Fascinating, and um, you report in in this the sort of generational shifts mm -hmm. and how you call it the iGen. Um, do you think that is one of the things that's driving it? Are we seeing, um, I like the quote about women in this subscription society yeah. now where people prefer to rent rather than own, whether it's cars, it's music, it's it's videos, etc. What sort of generational shifts did you, did you see? I think we do talk about generation rent and when we ask the consumers about their preference, is it ownership? or renting, it was the iGens who more than anyone said they were more comfortable with a move towards renting, in fact it was 72% of them. But actually across the board, 56% of everyone now agree that home ownership is less important. So I think this is more than just about generations. Yeah. And I think picking up on the subscription society point, we don't need to own things anymore. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think, you know, the only thing you really need to own is your smartphone. Yes. And as long as you have that, you can mm -hmm. do everything. Absolutely. So I think it's just, you know, technology and maybe different ways of living and working are driving this change as well. I think, I think the other thing, there's no getting away from it, is real estate as a, as a residential investment. Although the supply and demand fundamentals are good for for developers, um, for people looking to, to buy a home, it doesn't look the best investment these days. You know, in London, people have seen house prices fall between five and ten percent, depending yeah. on who you believe. And you know, there's there's younger people now can put their money into all sorts of different things and maybe maybe make a better return. Certainly not lose money. Yeah. So if you've got a bit of money to spare and you're, you're in your twenties or thirties, why plow it into into a real estate when you can rent it and make make that money go further somewhere yeah. else. And I think as well society is more mobile, so we're not as rooted in one place. And I saw a really interesting CBRE video where they looked at what life could look like in sort of 20 years. And their view was that jobs would no longer have a location when they were advertised because actually you don't need to be in one place. Yeah. So why tie your down yourself down to a house yeah. when actually you want to have that You can do the job anyway. Well, yeah. another, another of our panellists, Jill Dew from The Collective, which is yeah. the world's best co-living operator, 
um, you know, this is this is at the uh, this is at the cutting edge. But Jill Jill says that um, the collective, which is growing across the UK and in New York and in Germany, is under pressure from its uh, sort of top customers to expand and grow around the world because these these very mobile people want to be staying with the collective in in the US yeah. or in Germany or in Paris or in. A bit Australia from month to month to month. And, and they're the same people that want to rock up in a WeWork yeah. and have the same yeah. kind of office anywhere in the world they that's want right. to live there. I mean, I'm glad you uh, picked up co-living because, as you said, that's taking it even further. And do you think it will become mainstream? Do you think, I mean, the, the UK has obviously got quite a way to go. America is obviously f- further down uh, that line I, I than think, us. I think it's really interesting co-living because it really, really works from the developer's point of view. Um, you know, you can... You can make the numbers stack up better because you, uh, you know, you create sort of individual rooms, but shared shared spaces. Yeah. So you can um, build profitably, but also have an have an element of affordable homes in in those um, in those developments. And I think it goes to the sharing economy. People are happy to share. I spoke to um, the collective about something last week. Thirty washer dryers in one building, rather than have. 300 washer dryers in a in a in a bigger building yeah you know again it, it's almost more sustainable to be do, living like that as well yeah absolutely and it did come out through our consumers that they were happy to have a smaller live-in space that was exclusively theirs in return for better communal space and i think that really plays to wanting to have a sense of community yes and I know the collective will very much say that their USP is the way that they create that shared space the events program they have so to really create the community yeah. that we're all looking for now because they were talking about having a, a almost three events a day whether yeah. that's organized by the people living within mm-hmm. the community or, or put on which is incredible yeah and it was interesting you sort of think that those living environments are just for the extroverted people who want to be out there all the time but actually their studies have shown that it's the introverts who really like it because there's this ready-made circle that you you know you can step into and if it's your first time living in a city then that's That's the best way to meet people isn't it um what did your report highlight as the main what some of the main attractions of renting i know you did uh, quite an analysis of what were the attractive features to the consumer Um, I think there were a couple of things. It was the all-inclusive offering. Interestingly, it was Londoners more than anyone else who like that knowing-where-they-are, hassle-free approach. And interestingly, we have the longest commute in London of any European capital city, Mm -hmm. so perhaps no surprise then that we really want this sort of low-maintenance approach. The other thing was not needing to worry about repairs, not yeah. having that sort of responsibility. And then, of course, it was flexibility, being able to sort of move around as you wanted to. And then what, were the, what did um, your survey reveal as sort of some of the biggest drawbacks, um, the, yeah. the, the converse of that? A, a mix of things. I think the main one was unresponsive landlords. And again, that was something that came through more in the UK. And I think historically, our market has been more of a buy-to-let model, which has perhaps not had that sort of the same consistency as the institutional investments would. So I think with build-to-rent, we'll see more professional standards, maybe that scale to invest in technology. So you know we will see more consistency yeah. in the you, sector. You're right, you need scale, don't yeah. you, to, to have all the, the, the top-end technology in there. Um, just your average buy-to-let yeah. person that owns a couple of units isn't going to have the returns. 
One of the things I found very interesting was this sort of mismatch between what the what your report showed the consumer valued and what then the real estate industry thought the consumer yep. wanted. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. It was similar, actually. When we did offices, you'll remember, Giles, a couple of years ago, we had the same thing. There was a slight disconnect between what the office workers actually wanted out of their space and what the real estate yeah. professionals think they need. So uh, this time, interestingly, everybody agreed the most important thing is super fast broadband. Yeah. And, and that's Like great. goes back to your technology it, yeah. point, you only need your iPhone Absolutely. now. Absolutely. And again, that was the same as came out of the office survey and perhaps interesting then to see how Wired score have now moved across from just commercial into the residential as well. A little bit more out of sync on the importance of location yeah clearly in real estate it's all about location 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 to us but people are more mobile it's it's not the key anymore and my favorite one and it was actually the biggest gap of all was over permission to keep pets yeah which again goes to that sense of community. Yeah. People but actually that to... came in the office one as well, didn't it? The people yeah. wanted um, uh, pets. But I found that interesting that the real estate industry didn't think consumers wanted mm. pets necessarily. Um, I think I think there are issues around, <laughs> you know, barking dogs. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, keeping people awake yeah. all night. You know, when you talk to the, um, the, the developers or the owners about that, a few, a few, you know, it might sound unreasonable, but there but it's, are it's there the management are, of it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's things that they have to think about yeah. as well. It's like the movie Secret Life of Pets. What do they get up yeah. to when you're out? <laughs> mm. And interesting one where actually it was the other way round was swimming pools. Yeah. So real estate professionals just don't think anyone wants swimming pools, but it was quite important to consumers. And again, I think that's a little bit like gyms in the office. Yeah. You sort of think you want a gym in your workplace, but you wouldn't really ever go to it yeah. and maybe it's the same with swimming pools and we had one Manchester developer actually who had a tower block of residential they had a swimming pool on one of the high floors which they completely refurbished and they did some surveys about the use before and after the refurbishment and it was sort of high use in the month following the refurb and then it sort of tailed off so they did some sort of further surveys and it turned out that nobody was actually swimming they were just taking pictures for Instagram <laughs> so it's sort of what what we yeah. think we want isn't it's necessarily what, what we'll use yes yeah, absolutely um I guess we need to talk about rent controls that was something that that came up and it's something that is in the political debate quite a lot but also you um, identified quite you know the, the difference between Europe and, mm. and the U- and UK and their perspectives where actually Amsterdam Paris yeah. already has forms of rent controls and it's not damaging to yeah. the industry where there seems to be a perception that rent controls in the UK could undermine mm. this super new investment class um, what are your thoughts yeah. Um, I think it's a it's a it's a real worry. Um, not only rent controls, but um, we we talked in our panel debate about uh, at that time a prospective Labour government was talking about um, buying buy to let properties from landlords at sort of below market rate. Um, if if people have been living them within in them for a certain amount of time, that that would blow apart the, the this investment market. Um, I, could, I completely get both sides. If you're if you're a, a tenant and you don't you, your your rent is soaring, you feel like it needs to be controlled. But the property industry's argument is that that would 
choke off the supply and people just wouldn't yeah. build um, prop new properties or new developments anymore and that would force rents up even even more, and which actually did happen in the 1960s. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what people worry about, isn't it? And I think maybe, I don't know, is there a halfway house and will we see the real estate sector take some steps so that they can avoid the rent control? So, for instance, Giles, you mentioned Get Living, but yeah. they've introduced CPI rent caps. Yeah. So I think it's just having that certainty of knowing you know, what your numbers are, what yeah. you can make work, and maybe not having a regulation imposed on you that isn't accounted and I for. guess the voluntary sort of conduct comes from having bigger investors, yeah. a bit more organised as opposed to uh, Mr and Mrs Jones mm. who have a couple of houses and Mr and Mrs Smith have a few. With You, you start to get yeah. mass, which then, as you say, get, um, get living could yeah. sort of look at. And I think we do have to accept that you are dealing with people's yeah. homes. It's quite an People's amazing. lives, it's their remote, yeah, yeah, of course. definitely. So, and it was interesting when we asked our, both our consumers and our real estate professionals, do you think there should be more regulation? Of course, consumers said yes. But interestingly, 50% of our real estate professionals actually agreed with that too. So I think there was a sense of responsibility for us here. Yeah. Was there anything that came out of your whistle-stop tour of Europe and the rent controls? Because obviously we talked about they've been living with a variety of rent controls. Yeah. Um, interestingly, you picked out Amsterdam, and that was the big one, both from our consumers' point of view and actually when you speak to real estate people there, it's sort of a non-point because they have a very well-established market and they have rent controls at that lower level. Yeah. So maybe it's evidence that, to some degree, it does work. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to move on to look to um, the sort of perhaps the next big thing in the in the bed sector, um, and this is retirement. And that was one thing that came out of the report that everybody or your majority of people um, surveyed expected an increase in this. Do you want to talk about where you see retirement sector going? Well, it, it's if we if we're going to follow trends in the. The likes of Canada, uh, the US, New Zealand, we're way behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's roughly 1% of people in the UK live in purpose-built retirement accommodation. Yeah. It's 5% in those places. They've got more land, but um, you know, certainly in central London, there are a whole raft of developers uh, just in the last few months have um, raised serious money to go into this, this sector. I think there's a real... Uh, a real appetite for it, um, for people who want to, to, to downsize, not live out in the countryside, mm-hmm. but to move into move into town and have a have a, a, a nice a nice retirement in comfortable surroundings, centrally located. Yeah, and the demographics support that, don't they? Because we are as a nation getting older, mm. but also we are living sort of more healthy lives later on. So you do want to be in sort of vibrant communities. There was a little bit of a talk, it was in the Paris launch in particular, I think, about whether the right product was a self-contained retirement village, so we've seen the likes of Audley develop yeah. those in the UK, um, or whether actually in later living, because I think that's what we're supposed to call it rather than retirement, people want to live mixed in with the communities and it's that sort of intergenerational feel that's important. So I'm not sure that the sector have quite worked out what the right product is yet. So we could see a few different products coming to market. 
So um, I was going to just wrap up by perhaps asking you both to tell me what was the, one of the most interesting things that's come out of, of this, um, this report. For me, I think it's the importance of the sense of community and I think we see that whether that's in our working lives or our home lives and that really leads into whether it's co-living or retirement living but it's just, you know, our homes now are so much more than bricks and mortar so it's, it's bringing that out. And Giles? I think it's the challenges placed upon the, the owners and developers. This is not signing up an office tenant on a 25-year lease. Mm, and. No just taking the rent quarter by quarter. This is really active management. Uh, Rick de Blaby from Get Living Again said they have 40, 40 call-outs a day across their estate, which is admittedly big, but that can be 24-7. They're having to have all sorts of technology to deal with it. You know, it's really intense and, and um, you know, makes all sorts of demands on the property industry that it hasn't had to think about before. You know, publicity, yeah. social media, yeah. becoming more of a consumer-facing world than uh, it traditionally has been as a, as a B2B world, really. Fascinating. Well, thank you both for your time today. And thank you for joining us. Great. Thanks. Good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CMS Real Deal podcast. If you would like any further information, head to our website, cms.law. And don't forget to subscribe via your usual podcast store.